This is Carrie and Summer with the Say My Name podcast that gives a voice to women's stories. It's my story, it's your story, it's our stories of pain and healing. Welcome to the Say My Name podcast, episode five. This is part two of Nancy's story. She explains in detail how her past abuse has affected her relationships past and present, as well as her health. This episode is dedicated to all of the questions we had during our first interview, but didn't have time to ask. The flashbacks happened when the abuse with my um, ex-husband was happening, but it wasn't like a specific moment that I remember when I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. It was as if the only way I can describe it is that in my mind and in my body, I just started remembering that my whole childhood was dealing with the the loss, the death of my grandpa, but also what he did to me and how he touched me. And I don't know what exactly triggered those things because the abuse was both verbal and physical with my ex-husband. So I'm not really sure that there were like specific triggers that made those things happen. It was just like an ongoing thing that I just, it was as if all of the past of my childhood just was back in my conscious mind, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It was just weird. And the thing is, I never talked about it, about the abuse um, from my grandfather in all the time, in all the years I was having abuse from my son's dad. And in fact, when I started going to counseling for the abuse from my son's dad, I didn't I didn't tell my counselor about that, the abuse from my grandfather. And I was thinking about that today when I was kind of looking at the questions you wanted me to talk about. I'm like, dang, I, I didn't even, I don't remember ever bringing up the abuse from my, about my grandfather Why? until I divorced my daughter's dad in 1996. But she's the first person that was a professional counselor that I ever told. And I was like 26 already. So what that tells me when I kind of think about that is that I pushed so much of the stuff from my childhood so deep that I felt like I had dealt with it and it wasn't affecting my life. And I think that's really important to talk about because we do that. And I think the things that happen when we're children, they totally affect our lives. But, and even if we remember them, we don't deal, we choose, it's like our body protects us to, to cope with it or something or to not choose to bring it up. And so I didn't. Right. <laughs> I really didn't start dealing with those emotions until I pretty much told my parents in a letter and my and my siblings. And that's when I started to, that was my voice being heard, telling them, tell, writing them all this letter, like writing one letter to my parents, making copies for my three siblings, mailing it to them, and then talking to my sisters on the phone about it, opening up myself to talk about it in my, in my own private time too. So I had a couple feelings. I was embarrassed, not because I felt like it was my fault, but for some reason, the embarrassment of my dad knowing that his dad did that to me made me feel, it was almost like I was feeling embarrassed for him. Mm-hmm. The biggest emotion I had was I wanted to protect my dad from ever knowing this. I knew I needed to tell them. I felt like my mom could handle it and be strong because that's just how she is. She's a strong person. And I felt like my dad would be completely crushed and I didn't want him to feel that way. So when I wrote the letter, it was really painful and it was really hard. And 
the moment that I wrote it, it was, it was actually easy to write because I had anger and sadness and all these things going on. And I wanted in getting it, it was like getting it off my chest for the first time in full, the way I wanted to say it. Part of me actually even wants to ask my mom if she still has it because I'm sure she does. The actual mailing it, when I mailed it, I instantly felt like I can't, I can't not do this now. And they're going to see it in a couple days and holy shit. Like I didn't know what their reaction would be. So when I talked to my sisters about it, I specifically told my sisters to tell my mom once she gets it and she calls you or if you could just tell her that I mailed something and just say she's not going to be ready to talk about it because I, I didn't want them to call me. I didn't want my dad to come over because I wasn't ready to physically face them. It was like a, like a shame feeling. Dad was just swearing and upset and crying and he went upstairs to the wall of pictures and took like literally shoved down all the pictures of his dad and basically was saying he would kill him if he was alive and wow. just horrible things. And I don't really know what my dad's relationship is or, or was, I'm sorry, with his dad when they were growing up because I did ask him one day. He just shoved all the pictures off the wall and was cussing him out and saying he would kill him if he was alive. And so he's very angry. And then my mom was just talking to me about it. But my mom didn't cry. And she was just basically... I think she was asking me some questions or saying how sorry she was. And it was almost like, and I remember her talking about my aunt Marilyn, who was my grandpa's sister. She was his niece. She's the only aunt alive of this group of siblings. That was my, his wife's sister. Ironically enough, my dad's dad married his niece. So my dad's parents was an ancestral relationship to begin with. Oh, wow. Yeah. So back then, I guess that was okay. I don't know. My grandpa came from Hungary and my grandma was born in America, but my grandma and grandpa were niece and uncle. So my mom brought up my Aunt Marilyn and, and said that she had called my Aunt Marilyn because my mom told everyone at the, that point when she got the letter. She pretty much told all the relatives and stuff and was just like, I, you won't believe what happened because I guess she probably wanted to fish to see, did this happen to anyone else? Right. So I don't blame her. And I also know my mom, so I, I don't hold it against her. That, that didn't bother me that she was telling people. But my Aunt Marilyn said was like crying and just said oh my god that happened to me like through her all her teenage years but he actually had sexual intercourse with my aunt Marilyn and abused her for years until she put a stop to it mm-hmm. and she never told a soul and then she goes and gets married and has girls has daughters and my mom was like did this happen to your daughters she doesn't know because she never brought it up to anyone so for all she knows that's and I don't first, know that's the first time she brought it up yeah, and I don't even know to this day if my Aunt Marilyn even told her daughters after my mom told her, and this is going on 20-something years ago now. My mom, on the phone with me, didn't cry. She was so matter-of-fact, and I could sense that she felt horrible, and she said how horrible it is and all that, but I wanted her to cry, and that's been haunting me for years, and that's like something that later on, like in the more recent years I've learned, was something that I had to deal with. It was weird. I mean, my dad ended up coming over to my house. But when my dad came over and sat on my couch, and I don't even really remember what was said between us. I think he just said how sorry he was. And he just needed to see me and let me know that he's sorry and that he felt horrible. And it was so embarrassing. So embarrassment is the biggest emotion that I recall feeling. I just was so uncomfortable with it that I didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't want to. I wanted to be able to talk about it, but not with my dad. You know, I almost would have felt better if my mom came with him. But he came by himself. And so I don't know how long he was at my house, but we hugged and he felt horrible and it hurt me to see him sad. But he kept himself together pretty much. 
And then honestly, my dad and I, after that, never talked about it again. My mom and I can openly talk about it. It's just a really awkward feeling still. And again, I say that and stress it because this is so, this is so common for people. And I think a lot of people actually choose not to ever talk about it because of the discomfort for whoever they're going to tell. And if I can give any advice, it's talk about it. It is the hardest thing, but do it. It will actually free you to do that. And I never thought they wouldn't believe me. So that was never a fear. It was not even a thought in my head. Um, my parents are just, they've always been extremely open with everything. Any subject could be talked about, anything. And so that was never an issue. Like I said, the embarrassment part was like, fuck, you know, I, I just don't know if I'll be able to look at my dad. You know, that was scary. And we have a great relationship and it's gotten better as we're, you know, as I'm older, but I just sometimes look in his eyes and I feel like he sits with, God, I feel bad. You know, every time he looks at me, I don't want him to look at me and think, God, I wish I could have done something or, you know, thinking about, you know, this is my one daughter who's been divorced now three times when all my other kids are married once and still married. About five years ago, I did a color therapy thing with someone and that went, we went through the details of it then. And what I learned that made me feel an instant bit of relief was that the therapist in the colors and questioning, and they do this special questioning and stuff. And he asked me, what do you see? Like he took me into a, into an actual moment of, a, of the abuse happening in my grandpa's bedroom, in the bed and everything. He's like, so tell me what you see. And I said, well, I see my grandpa and I see myself. And he's like, oh, you see yourself? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, what do you see? Like, do you see the side of yourself or below yourself or on top of yourself? Or what? And he's, I said, no, I'm kind of looking down and seeing the whole act happening. And he said, at the end, when he gave me the feedback, he said, that's actually a really good sign if there is a sign because he said most of his if not you know many of his patients that he deals with they actually don't see themselves they see the person that's abusing them so what happened to me is he explained is that my soul left my body so it was not physically a part it was not into my physical body as it was happening and that's why I was looking down at myself and that that's a good thing you know because I had the whatever makes that happen the strength or the will or whatever to allow my soul to leave my body while that happened to me so it's just kind of interesting because I remember little details I don't remember specific every moment but enough to know exactly what was happening and being said and stuff so when did you make the connection between your continued relationships that have been difficult or dysfunctional and the initial abuse I think with my first like real relationship when I was a freshman, the, we met at a party or something in the summer and then he asked me to be his girlfriend and he, I lost my virginity to him. It was a great relationship until he broke up with me and that's when I started realizing there was just something about the relationship that for me, that relationship was the beginning of when I started to think if a man truly loves me, he wants to have sex with me and if a man doesn't want to have sex with me pretty quickly then he probably doesn't love me. The weird thing is I kept attracting people who did want to have sex with me. But what I didn't realize was they really only wanted to have sex with me. And that wasn't what I was, it was what I was trying to get, but it wasn't what I was trying to get, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. To me, it was like sex and love are the same thing. And you can't have one without the other. When I met my daughter's dad, and he just was the real deal, and just mature in every way. There was no ulterior motive. It wasn't about, ooh, you're hot, let's fuck. It was about... I'm in love with you as a person. Your son is the most amazing little guy and I want to have you, I want you guys to be my family. And he was just such a wholesome, good guy. His purpose in my life was to show me what real love is because to date, he is the only man in my opinion that genuinely had no ulterior motive. He truly loved me from the depths of my soul and the outside part of me came last. I mean, it was great and helpful that I was attractive to him in his eyes, 
but it wasn't my physical beauty that drove him to fall in love with me. And it wasn't the lust factor or the sex. I think with him, that's when it all clicked into place. But then after him, I went back to the patterns. But now, like through a few more relationships, I've learned, I feel like I've learned lessons every, with every relationship, but I still haven't totally gotten it exactly right yet. <laughs> but I'm very aware now. And I feel, especially with the relationship I'm in now, I feel very aware of what I'm supposed to feel and why and what I'm not supposed to feel and why. And I take action when any of those feelings happen. Mm -hmm. So when I look back, everything about him took care of my every need. There was nothing missing from him and everything was all with good intentions and it was all genuine and authentic. And he made me feel safe. There was no lying, no yelling, no cheating, no fear of any of that. I was so secure with that man. And he was a loving, beautiful man is still a loving, beautiful man. But when my son's dad died, I felt like I just wanted to be free in every way. And I, and I realized when my son's dad died, sadly, that I wasn't married for the right reasons to my daughter's dad. I married him when I was 21. I wasn't even 21. In my opinion, I was still a kid. I mean, I just, you know, you think about, we all are around the same age. Well, I'm 10 years older than you guys, but anyways, <laughs> we're all around the same age. The thing is, like, if you think back to your life and you say, okay, from, from the time you're 20, then you go to 25. For me, it was five-year increments. I feel like I'm not at, I wasn't at all the same person at 25 that I was in tw at 20. I definitely wasn't the same person at 30 that I was at 25 and so on and so on mm -hmm. and so on. And now at 49, I'm like, ooh, I've learned a shitload of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel great about that. And I don't feel like, damn, I learned it so late in life. I feel like I needed it to happen exactly when it happened. All that clicked with my daughter's dad. And then I just needed to be free from marriage at that point because I felt like I deserved to be madly in love, passionately in love, lustfully in love with whoever I'm going to marry. The good and bad of that is I divorced a wonderful man who probably would have loved me till the day I die and been loyal. And I had five or six more shitty relationships along the way until I am where I am now. I had moments of sadness and stuff. Some people would say that I did have depression. I would say that I don't feel like I did, but I had moments where I felt sad. So my depression was when relationships would be not what I wanted them to be or I was getting lied to or cheated on or things like that. That's when I would start feeling two things. I would feel like, why is this happening to me? And I would feel like, what am I supposed to try to understand and learn from everything that happened with my grandpa? Like, why can't someone just love me for me? I went through, I would ask myself questions and try to figure that out. And I would like beat myself up about it. Like sometimes I would get to that point of heartbreak and sadness where I'd feel like, how am I ever going to go on? And how am I ever going to feel good about myself or feel good in a relationship or be loved the way I want to be loved? But there was always that little bit that was like, girl, come on, you always move through it. Time heals all wounds. Everything's going to be okay. It wasn't like I sat around and moped every day. I'm just not that person. I always get up and find something to laugh about. I always had a good day with moments of shit that I was dealing with but I never let it affect my job I never let it affect my kids I didn't neglect things that I needed to do it was just kind of an overwhelming sadness and a wonder like am I ever going to just get someone that actually loves me for me and it's not about the sex or not about them having this habit or that habit or whatever I've always lifted weights I've since I was like early in my 20s I dated a guy who's a bodybuilder and he taught me a lot of good stuff in the gym and I loved going to the gym I was obsessed with the gym at that time and I was going twice a day so I would go like in the morning before work for like an hour or two and at night again at like 
11 o'clock at night sometimes. I was just obsessed. And I was, when I think back, I'm like, damn, my body was hot back then. And yet I was buying hydroxy cut, <laughs> you know, and I was trying to lose weight and I felt like I was too big. And I think back and I think, where was I too big? I don't know. It was just like an obsession. In one of your questions, you said, do you think some of that body image stuff had to do with the abuse? I don't know that it did from my grandfather. I don't think it did at all from that. But definitely from my, my son's dad, when I was with him, I was young. I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. But I remember he used to always tell me, like, when we would go out to eat, don't eat the bread. Don't eat that. Like, he would bitch about stuff that I would eat. And I remember there's two vivid things that he said that have always stuck with me and hurt my heart. Um once at a Christmas, we were sitting at his parents' house in Christmas and he knew what size I wore. We had been together for a long time and he loved me wearing little mini skirts and little tight stuff. And he bought me this really cute denim mini skirt. And when I opened it, I was like, this is a size four. You got the wrong size. He goes, no, I didn't in front of his whole family. Oh my God. And I said, I don't wear a size four. I think I was a size eight at the time. And he, I don't think I was ever a size four, maybe my toe, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, no, I don't, I don't wear a size four. You know, I wear a size eight. He's like, that's what size you should be. Oh my God. And I was like, fuck off and die right now. I have so much rage. (laughs) I know. So I was like, wow. And the thing was the the mini skirt was actually a stretchy denim too at the time. And I just was like, so humiliated in front of his entire fucking family. And I'm like, are you serious? I, I could actually, as I'm telling you, I could picture the whole scenario. We're all sitting around in a circle in their family room in Palatine. And I opened the box all excited. And there's this little teeny mini skirt. And I'm like, this looks so small. And that's when I looked at the size. And I'm like, you got me the wrong size. Wow. It's a four. He's like, no, I didn't. And right in front of himself. I don't even think his family said anything, which I should have chopped them all up at that point. But anyway, so that was one. And then the other one was, then the other memory that I have is, when right before he died. So he was at my and my daughter's dad's house. So my husband at the time, and he came to see his son, our son, but he also came to see my daughter because she was just born. And I remember um, he was standing in the kitchen kind of towards the hallway. And at the end of the hallway was a bathroom and I had to use the washroom. So I handed my daughter over to him. I said, here, hold her. And I walked down the hall away from him to go to the bathroom. And he's like, wow, that's a wide load. And at that time, first of all, big butts weren't popular like they are now. So I didn't appreciate my hips and my ass at the time. You got a good butt. And I got a good butt. But anyway, thank you. So I was like, fuck that. But it it hurt my heart. I didn't cry about it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I walked in the bathroom and I just sat there on the toilet and I was like, did he just say you have a wide load? Mm. Like, I'm like, who fucking says that? Yes. To answer your question, I think my weight gain probably had something to do with all of that stuff that I still was holding on to, but it more in my subconscious than my conscious. Cause at the end of the day, you know, two years ago, three years ago, four or five years ago, I wasn't thinking of my son's father saying some shit to me. I don't give a fuck what he thought. Cause you know, whatever. But my ex-husband, who was the most recent one that I separated from in September of 2011, he loved my body and he would have preferred me bigger. But here's the catch on that. This is all like making great sense now that you open that Pandora's box. He himself, six foot five, big dude, husky, great shape. Everybody had a big belly, but I was madly in love with this man and no one could tell me different. And to my, in my opinion, he was the most hottest, gorgeous, sexy thing on the planet big old piece of chocolate. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) but anyway, he loved my body, but then I started going and lifting weights and stuff. And at times he would say that I was getting too thin and all the women he ever cheated on me with, which were only 
which were about six that I knew of, they were all hugely overweight. So I was weightlifting and stuff, but my husband at the time wasn't, he was his truck driver over the road. So he was never home. And we had moved from Chicago to Atlanta. And I think part of why I gained the weight when I left him was, it was like, I just decided, fuck it. Like I had been lifting weights and all this stuff, but my husband wasn't there to enjoy me and I wasn't there to have him. And so all that different stuff, I think probably added up. And I moved back to Chicago. I just stopped going to the gym, like cold turkey stopped and a bunch of things happened all at once. So I moved from Atlanta back to Chicago on December 15th of 11. I don't have a home. I'm living with my hairstylist girlfriend in the city until I find a place or figure something out. I start going through premenopause. All my eyelashes fell out and I was the start of my weight gain and I was eating just anything I could find. And then fast forward to five years. So between 2011, 12, 13, 14, between 2011 and 2016, I gained 50 pounds. And when I left Atlanta, I was in good shape. I wasn't like toned and as shapely as I am now. Like there wasn't muscle tone. I mean, I was working out every day. I was doing a lot of cardio, but I was, I was decent. I was probably a size eight, maybe a 10. So I was fine. But then that shit just spiraled into, I don't, really care about myself. And then over those five years, there were moments where like I joined, I joined export fitness and I would go every day for a while and do cardio. I wouldn't do much weightlifting. And the reason why I didn't do a ton of weightlifting, because when I looked in the mirror, I felt too embarrassed to go and do weightlifting, even though I knew what to do. I didn't like how I looked. I was like, God, how did I get this way? And I just always felt big, but I didn't change my eating habits. And I would just have moments where I'd go to the gym for a month, stop going for three months, go to the gym for a couple of days, brag about it on my social media and stop going. It was just weird. And I tried all different things. I did the Shanti thing and just different exercise videos, trying to fit it into my day. I definitely look back now and think, hmm, I did obviously have body issues at that point because here's a man that cheated on me and he went with all these big girls And even though I knew he was madly in love with me and loved me and there was nothing wrong with my body, the people he chose to cheat on me with were way bigger than me. So in my head, I'm thinking he likes big girls, but I don't want to be a big girl, Mm -hmm. but I don't give a shit right now. So whatever happens, happens. What's the the biggest size you got to? I was a 16. I was a size 16. That was horrifying. I weighed 200 pounds when I moved here on September 30th of 2016. It was just like embarrassing the thought of being naked. And all I ever wanted to do when I looked in the mirror, all I ever wanted to do is I wish I could put a bikini on and be in public. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm very vain. I still am. And that's fine. I'm totally cool with that. But there was my whole life. I was so proud of how I looked. I thought I looked great and I felt great. And all of a sudden, I feel horrible and I just would look in the mirror all the time and my daughter would say, mom, stop complaining or do something about it. And she's very active and she's very fit. And she would, whenever she would be at my house, she would say, before we'd go to bed, come and do sit-ups with me, come and do push-ups with me, come and do this. And I would say, no, like, I was like, I don't know why you're doing that. Like, I don't want to, I'm too tired. I would make so many excuses. And then what actually flipped my, my switch to, do something and really change my mind, like set my mind was one day I was looking in the mirror and I was kind of like holding my thighs the way I wish they looked. Like I was squeezing them back and saying, saying to my daughter, God, I'm such a pig. I just wish my thighs were like this. And I showed her and she just got kind of an angry tone. And she said, mom, I'm tired of you talking like this about yourself. You're beautiful. You're always going to be beautiful. If you're going to keep complaining, then I don't want to hear about it. So stop complaining or just do something about it. 
And instantly I felt like crying. I felt horrible that I was being a horrible role model because I'm always telling my daughter, you're beautiful, which she is. I wouldn't lie. She is beautiful. But I was always telling her how to not worry about what other people think. And I'm sitting here saying I'm a pig every minute that she's with me. So that was the light switch, thank God, that went off. And from that moment, I just knew that I was going to totally change my life. And I already knew at that point that I was planning on moving to Arizona. And my parents are very, very into working out. So my parents work out six days a week. Every morning, 7.30, like clockwork, they're at the gym. My mom runs 17 miles a week, and she'll be 77 in December. And so I knew I'd be in a home that had healthy food options. I was going to have good role models. When my parents said, you know, don't worry about anything right now. Just come and live here until you figure out where you want to live and get your shit together. Come and stay here. And I knew right then that was going to be the change. And I never turned back. I went to the gym at 7.30 with my mom. And I'll never forget walking from the car to in, through the parking lot. I had on my yoga pants and everything, my little outfit with my tank top. And walking, I was like so out of breath because I just was very uncomfortable in my skin back then. And I went in and I worked out and everything. And then I went every day and I was at the smaller gym. There's like a big rec center where I live. And then there's a smaller gym. And I was at the smaller one. And I went into the gym and I actually was doing weightlifting that day. And I stood in front of the mirror and I was like, this is not what you look like. Like I wanted so bad to look like my old self. And I realized right in that moment how big I was. And I remember I went, when I went back in the car, walking back to the car, I was so out of breath and so uncomfortable. And I just bawled my ass off. I don't know how I got this way and I need to change. And when I think about why did I decide to lose the weight? My daughter helped me flick the switch, but it was not for my daughter that I was losing weight. It was not for my son's dad. It was not for my grandpa. It was not for my ex-husband who cheated on me. It was 500 million percent only for me. And I think that's so important. If you're doing it for anyone but yourself, you, it won't sustain. Fail. You yeah, fail. you just mm-hmm. can't do it. It's still work today. And it's it's hard. And like Carrie knows very well that there's times I go to Chicago like every other month or every couple months. And that week mm-hmm. or sometimes two weeks. And there's been when my second grandchild was born, I was there like the whole month of March. And I, although I go to the Lifetime Fitness so I can go there and work out, it's a struggle sometimes to be able to work out every day just for various reasons. I don't have a car when I'm there. I'm relying on other people, my family for rides. I have other things going on and I still have to work because I work from home. And then I'm not eating the way I eat here. Here, I cook my meals all the time. I eat at home and I cook and I buy groceries and I buy vegetables and I eat what I'm supposed to. There, it's like, we need to eat out for this meal. Oh shit, it's lunchtime. We got to eat out again. Like I don't, I'm totally off my routine. It's one thing when you when I post all these pictures and I'm showing that I go to the gym every day and I'm, a, I'm obsessed with it and it's my lifestyle and I love it and that's all great. And maybe some people might think, well, okay, you have the time, you work from home or you have the ease to do this or you have the money. I don't know, just whatever people are thinking. But the truth is it is self-talk every day for me to go work out. Even with Carrie, I love it and I look forward to it. And I actually authentically love being in the gym. Like I don't dread it, but it is a mental, it's mental work for me to go because of all the times that I was or am in Chicago and off my routine, it does something to your mind and you get comfortable with not going. And there's that part of you that comes, it's like I have the one person on my left shoulder and the one on my right and the one on the left's like, damn, it feels good to eat that piece of cheesecake and you haven't been to the gym in three days and wow, don't you wish you never had to go to the gym and wow, you're fit now so maybe it's okay to take a few days. Now, let me say this. It is okay to take a few days. It is okay to eat sweets when you need and want to eat them and get over it, but it's not okay to do it 
Like you have everything in moderation and you can't get off your routine. People should have rest days. I don't think you should be obsessed and be in the gym seven days a week, killing yourself. You need to rest your body. But when it becomes your lifestyle, every day there should be something, whether it's yoga one day or maybe go ride the bike and do a little cardio one day or just something to keep your body moving. But I don't kill myself over it anymore but it is mental work for me to stay consistent. There's no doubt about it. And people need to know that. It is if you do not set your mind and set the intention and literally make it, it, it whether you have to write it in your calendar or put it in your calendar on your phone that it's an appointment for yourself, then you have to do that. You're committed. Yeah, I'm totally committed. Like totally. For, I don't ever want to be a size 16 again. You know, I'm not looking to be a hard body and be in a magazine or on a stage. I'm looking to just feel and be healthy. And I feel healthy and I am healthy. And I actually enjoy healthy eating. Like I always tell my daughter, if I win the lottery or come into some sum of money, the very first and most important thing that I would want to spend it on is a personal chef to cook healthy stuff for me. I love sweets. You can ask anyone, but again, especially my daughter knows, put a cupcake in front of me and it's over. (laughs) And if, if there's sweets in front of me, I'll want to eat them and probably will eat some of it. But if there's not stuff in the house, I won't go out of my way to buy it. And that's another thing that I've learned to do, which is really hard for some people. I even actually am to the point. In fact, I went to the grocery store yesterday and the lady in front of me was by herself. I don't know if she has kids or whatever, but everything she bought was not good for you. It was a lot of processed meat and a processed food and tons of different chips and piles of soda. And also, and in my mind and in looking at it, it actually made me feel sick because I won't buy any of that. I don't like any of it. My weakness is sweet, but I'm to the point where I actually love eating healthy that I will go out of my way to look for something healthy first. And I want to learn how to cook more healthy things. And I'm more turned on by healthy food and clean eating because I feel so fucking good when I eat clean. That's a hard place to get to too. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in two weeks or three weeks or month. It happens after months of doing it committed to it. Like if I didn't spend those 10 months initially eating from a meal plan that my trainer at the time gave me, which I followed to the fucking T, I promise you it would have been even harder. And I don't even know today if I could have been where I am. So I know that I can follow a meal plan. I know I can give up sugar. I know I can give up bread. There's an empowerment to those feelings to know that you can do it. I'm telling you, I say it all the time on like my social media, the words we put out in the universe attract back what we're saying is what we are and what we believe. And if we're saying negative things and saying, oh my God, I can't believe I ate that pizza. My thighs are going to be huge. Well, then my body's like, you're damn skippy there and you're about to gain weight by tomorrow. You're going to have more cellulite when you wake up, girl, you know, or things like that. But I've learned to not do that. Wait, that's why too. I say this ice cream is going straight to my ass. Right, that's Because that's <laughs> you want to grow your ass. <laughs> it's going to my thighs yes. and my butt. Yes. Oh, booty, booty, booty. The bigger the booty, the better. Yeah. Slide so, on down there. Yeah, exactly. Her thinus. Her thinus. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, I think all in all, like what you're saying, like it's so interesting to be prompted to think about how my eating today and how my choice to lose the weight when I gained all that had to do with all this stuff that I've been holding in and all the stuff I've been healing through. And I always want to say healing through because I feel like, and I feel like even just saying dealing with is mm-hmm. a negative yeah. energy towards that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm healing through some shit right now. Part of my yeah. healing is that I'm conscious of what I'm eating. I'm conscious of what I want to eat and what I don't want to eat. And I make my own choices and I have my own free will and I'm not going to eat a cupcake and sit there and go, God, I wish I didn't eat that. 
Right. No, I love the fucking cupcake. I'm going to eat it and tell it it's the most amazing mm-hmm. thing in the world and it tastes great and make love to that Make cupcake. love to the cupcake, girl. <laughs> Lick the frosting off. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Well, I can tell you that from just my experience of working with clients for so many years and watching their habits, mm-hmm. that there is no way that you would be able to keep this weight off if you weren't doing your healing through this I process. Agree. So there's more to it than just, you know, you being good with your workouts, good mm-hmm. with your diet. Mm-hmm. Like you are also adding in working on your mindset, yeah. working on your healing, mm-hmm. healing your heart, healing all of this trauma that has happened to you in this process of that. Right. And that is why you've been able to yeah. keep your weight off and be able to keep the shape that you have mm-hmm. and love your body mm-hmm. and be able to have the mindset that you have. There's yeah. a combination of all of those. I don't believe that people lose weight, lose weight to be happy. You have to be happy and then you'll lose weight. Yes. My, if you lose all the weight in the world and you would know that, yes. I mean, through just eating disorders and stuff, <sighs> I've never had an eating disorder, but I'm here to promise and tell you the truth is when your body and mind and spirit are truly authentically happy, your body will lose weight. Yes. Number one, because I'm telling myself, I'm setting intentions, I'm doing the work, I'm, I'm doing every aspect of everything that the universe wants and needs me to do to realize why am I eating cleaner? Why am I feeling good? Why am I saying positive things to myself? Why do I look in the mirror and smile instead of look in the mirror and hold my thighs back? Mm. And if people would really take the time to think about that, it's profound, because you know, you love yourself. I love myself like and deeply to your yeah, core. I mean, I really truly do. I am and was always beautiful, but we have to feel good in our own skin. Even when I was at 200 pounds and I used to post some pictures, not a lot, but some, I would have guys saying stuff on my Facebook. Um, you know, you're, oh, you're so hot and you're beautiful and you're thick and whatever. And then when I posted my collage pictures that had the before and after like I'm thinking of one in particular in this blue sundress this long dress so many men were saying well you were hot before you looked better before or whatever and I was like what I need you to understand number one it's not about you and that's great thank you I'm flattered but I was unhealthy before it's just like people don't realize there are skinny people there are thin people who are unhealthy thin there are thick and fat and whatever you want to call it, people who are unhealthy, thick and fat. And then there are healthy, thin or skinny or slender people. And there are healthy, curvy, voluptuous, bigger people. (laughs) It's like until they understand, I mean, and I think I did at one point put up my before and after bikini shot, which was horrifying for me to do. Like I never wanted anyone to ever see me that way, but I took those pictures for a purpose and I'm glad I did. That's not why you're posting. Right. That's what drives That's me crazy. Because I'm, right. It's how you is, feel inside yes. and what your health is like. I had high cholesterol. I was borderline diabetic. Ugh. I couldn't walk. Like yeah. I had 14 stairs up to my upstairs to my bedrooms in my townhouse in Addison when I, before I moved here. I would get three or four stairs up and then have to hold the rail. And I was like huffing and puffing and I would get up to the top and feel horrible. And that's the part people don't see. It's not healthy. I was not healthy. And I remember when I lost all the 50 pounds and I was getting rid of some clothes, my mom was like, you need to make a bag for the, you know, to give away and stuff. So I was going through my stuff and Thanksgiving of 2016, I had bought, I wanted to dress up. We had our family over and I bought these leather pants these I'll never forget these black leather polo Ralph Lauren pants and I thought I looked the bomb in them and when I lost that weight and my mom was going through telling me to pick stuff and you know put it in a bag I found the pants and I put them on and I walked out to my mom and I 
I was like smiling at the time because it felt so good. And I walked out tomorrow and I said, mom, these were the pants I wore last year on Thanksgiving. And she said, what? And we, and I was holding them out. You could have fit another person in there practically. I just like kind of smiled. And then I went back in my room and I looked at myself in the mirror and I just started bawling. Mm -hmm. Number one, I'm a fucking badass. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't believe that I did this. I set an intention and I changed my life and I'm never going back. And I feel so good. There was so much emotion around those fucking pants and I gave them away and everything. But like the pictures when I do those before and after, and even when I look at yours, Carrie, because you have posted some, and before I even had you as my trainer, that's what got me to contact Mm -hmm. you. Like I saw your Facebook and I was like, she has what I want. It wasn't me trying to be you, you know, to be her. It was, she, she's a, a curvier girl. She knows what I need. She's training people. So she obviously knows how to train people the right way. And it was what I needed. And looking at your pictures, I was like, she did this and I'm doing this and we can do this. And I, and I needed the extra support. And I've even had people ask me, you lost the weight, you got in shape, you had a trainer. Why do you have another trainer now? Cause I always say, you know, I still have a trainer. I go three days a week for my lower body. Why? Because everyone needs a coach to some yes. extent. And when we invest in ourselves, people don't Preach realize it, girl. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to <laughs> just because you think you're there or just because you've accomplished a goal the coach that you hire or the trainer that you hire takes you further and and teaches you the stuff that you just don't already know. And and not even if you, even if you do know, like, even though I'm so motivated with or without you, of course I'd go to the gym. Of course I do all the stuff you've taught me being present for myself, showing up for myself. When I go to your gym, it's showing up for you, but it is showing up for myself. And it's me saying, I am actually paying money because I'm worth it because I need to stay this way and feel this way always. And it's being around other energy that is so powerful. People don't realize that the energy on your own might be one thing, but like you said, it's not motivate. I mean, motivation will not sustain. And I have to go there because you help me feel and reinforce that what I'm doing is is helping me grow as a person and helping me reach more goals. There's never too many goals to reach. I mean, there's always another goal. Once you reach one, you go to the next one. Ugh. Summer and I both have coaches uh-huh. and we've paid a lot, a lot of, money, of money. A <laughs> lot of money for these coaches. Yeah. And it's worth every, every penny. Fucking penny. And I can tell you, I will always have a coach. Yeah. There are some women that can be a size 16 or 14, 12, mm-hmm. whatever, and they are at their optimal, mm-hmm. healthiest weight. Mm-hmm. Or bring it down to a size zero. Mm-hmm. They can be at their ultimate. I was not at a size mm-hmm. zero. I was at probably should have been hospitalized mm-hmm. and at size 16, yeah. not healthy at yeah. all as well. Such a good point. So yeah. only, you know, yeah. where you are healthy. If you don't feel healthy, you need to dig deep and go beyond what you're eating and what you're doing or not doing it with exercise mm-hmm. because the not being healthy, in my opinion, in my experience of growth is, has everything to do with everything that happened in my past. Mm-hmm. Everything about childhood. My parents always told me I was beautiful. It was not about that. I was abused as a child, sexually abused. I was abused as a teenager, physically, emotionally scarred and abused. And all of that has to do with my health. It all does. That's why, really take, why take care of yourself yeah. if you don't feel like you're you're a good person right. or that you're worthy right. of you being start healthy? To heal yourself on the inside, mm-hmm. then your body naturally follows. It's you. such a it's such an awesome thing. It's a flower blooming. Like if more people could actually dig deep and really believe that in their heart, I think people would be so much more healthy. I wake up every single morning and before I get out of bed, I thank God for the day and I thank the universe for giving me good rest and sleep and for keeping me healthy and keeping me happy and keeping my spirit alive and soaring. I do it every day without 
hesitation. Ooh, it's, I say it one. out loud. And then I reach over and I drink a pile of water. <laughs> I always, and I do that at How? night. And then I also do that at night when I go, when I go to sleep, I drink a swig of water and I have, and I say that same aff- information. Thank you for today. In the morning, it starts with thank you for waking me up today and for the rest and this and that. And at night it's thank you for the day. Please give me proper rest and let me, you know, sleep soundly. And, but it, I literally say it every single night. Never, I never, no matter what, I always say it. So that's how I start my day. That's number one. Like, again, words are powerful and mm-hmm. words attract what you need and want. Um, wa- and then number two is water. The water in the night and the morning isn't just the water. I only drink water or like green tea or hot tea. I don't ever drink soda. I wasn't raised with soda. So that's not that wasn't hard for me. And I know it's very difficult for some people who do. But you're doing yourself a huge disservice. That's something so worthy of just quitting cold turkey and saying, fuck it, because you're really killing yourself slowly. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> I don't drink any kind of juices. Uh, I just don't. I don't believe in fruit juice. I don't. I just don't do that. Water is my number two. I love water. I drink it all day long and I never fail to drink it. I make sure I drink it. If your pee's not clear, you're not drinking enough water. You got water right here on the <laughs> I know, desk. Right. I sure do. <laughs> so number three. I do some kind of exercise. So even if I take a break, I have booty bands. I bought resistance bands and I'll do something with those just in my bedroom, do a bunch of squats. I'll do some sit-ups. I'll do like torso twists, just something to get my body moving. And actually my watch that I have is if it has, does all the fitness stuff in every, I think it's set to like every hour or just under an hour, it'll tell me to get moving. So I sit at a desk for work and although I work from home and I get up a lot to move around because I want to, there's times where I'm sitting for hours at my desk, but every time my watch goes off every time I'll get up and stop even if I'm on the phone on a phone interview I'll just get up and do my torso twist or something while I'm talking because the key is get moving it's pretty simple you need to move people are mm-hmm. so sedentary so number three is I number four I tell myself affirmations like I have one I, I don't know it by heart but I have it on a piece of paper I in fact I just sent it to one of my good girlfriends but it's basically says in so many words, I am beautiful. I am empowering. I am sunshine. You know, I deserve um, abundance in my life. And I have it on a piece of paper in my drawer at my desk. And I read it to myself at least once every day, but usually a few times every day. So whatever positive affirmation, again, it's about words because I feel like the more I'm telling myself and making it a habit that I'm telling the universe who I am and I believe who I am. I believe those mm-hmm. things. Then that makes me feel good. Girl, um, you are sunshine. Thank you. you are Cassie sunshine. told me that too. Yes. But thank you. Sharing something positive from myself to others as much as I can, like in a massive public way. So for me, that's my social media. I mean, that's my vehicle right now to get my voice heard. And whoever listens, I don't, it's not about, oh, I have this amount of followers. It's about if one person hears it that needs it, my job is done. Somehow every day, whether it's something funny that I post, it's a laugh, it's a sense of humor thing, or telling people to smile, or just honestly, even my pictures of myself. And I know some people won't agree and I don't give a fuck, but I don't post Uh, newsflash I don't post my pictures for your thirst or your enjoyment or your disgust or your hatred I post them because it reminds me every day of who I am where I was and where I am now that is the only reason I post them so yes I'm flattered when you want to say oh you're beautiful or this or that thank you I know I'm beautiful and I know that I'm a loving authentic soul but they're not for you that I'm posting and for people to really understand that, could I take a picture and keep it to myself? Yes. But because I'm a firm believer that what we put out into the universe 
comes back a hundred times better. I don't want to keep it to myself. I don't feel I should have to keep it to myself that I am proud of where I've been and, and where I've come. So that's why I post some pictures. So oh, I think that was I number so, four or five. I, so agree so I think I got my that. top five. I yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Nancy, do you want to tell us how you're going to change the world starting now? And then I mean, for me, yes, my my voice needs to be heard. And, you know, I have a lot of things kind of in my left pocket that I've been trying to, not trying, I hate the word trying because that kind of means you're not going to do it, but been working on, let's just say that because I really you am working on. You are going to do it. <laughs> so You've talked the to voice me about is going to be heard. Yeah, and there's I things happening. Yeah, about. there's things that are going to be happening and in a big way, and I'm really excited about it. You know, it's happening in the universe's time, so... I am where I'm supposed to be right now. And when I'm supposed to be there, I'll be there and you'll know. No, say it. What? What is it? Well, there's a couple things. There's a talk show thing that I'm trying yes. to get um, that I'm not trying. I keep saying trying. That's a horrible word. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but there's a talk show that my daughter and I really are working towards putting out there. Um, it's something we've been thinking about for a long time on all kinds of topics. But the, from a perspective of me as a 49-year-old single mom who's been through divorce and abuse and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and then those same topics coming from a 23-year-old who's almost 24, who's been an athlete, who's gone through juvenile rheumatoid arthritis since she was two, who's had all kinds of different things, you know, athletic things and family things and divorce and all kinds of stuff herself from high school to college, college to trying to find a job, just every kind of topic that people all go through, but no one really talks about um, and maybe needs to talk about. Um, so we're working on that. And whether that's going to become like a talk show thing, which would be the ideal, or just some kind of a video platform or vlogging, we're going to make it happen because we're fun to watch and we have great chemistry. And if I can do something like that with my daughter, it would be a dream come true. So, And Summer Perfect. and I 100% <laughs> support you. And we'll Thank be you. watching. We'll Thank be you promoting. So Thank yes. you so much. That's oh awesome. Oh, my God. It'll be so yeah. amazing. This I is can't awesome. Wait. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, this is the Say My Name Project, the Say My Name Woo-hoo. Podcast. Follow us on Instagram. Yes, holla. Holla. <laughs> What's up? What's up?